there's this really sad joke. I mean, it's a sad joke, to be honest, because I, I don't know how else to describe it. I think I'm just going to let Mo tell the joke himself. Yesterday, I was in the Uber, same story. The Uber driver, I'm like, this Uber is nice. He's like, yeah, cool. I'm like, what, what are you doing? He's like, I drive Uber. Okay, where you come from? Afghanistan. What were you doing back home? I was a dentist. I owned a bunch of dentist businesses, and I also owned a factory. And like now he's driving Uber in Canada. So that story is like, it's almost like a joke, but have you heard that they said that the best place to have a car accident or heart attack is an Uber? Because there's very high likelihood that the person driving you is a doctor. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's really sad, to be honest, because I, I don't know how else to describe that. I mean, it sounds funny, but it's not funny. It's life, right? Um, yeah, so Mo is a really exciting fella. You know, I find him really interesting, especially because of what he's doing with Skill Hack. And so me and him talked a lot talked about his business um why he started the business all the amazing things they've done um we also talk about you know the differences between running a business in nigeria and canada and the difference between the canadian pace and the american pace of business um we talked about parenting um it was a really interesting conversation enjoy hey everyone welcome back um today i have with me more um who i find pretty interesting because um, I feel like what he's doing right now is trying to solve a pain that he experienced as a young immigrant. But before we get into all the what he's doing right now, welcome on the Newcomers Podcast. How's your day going, man? It's busy. It's busy. I'm glad I didn't cancel. I almost canceled this. That's how busy it is. Um, lots of priorities. I know I moved this twice. Yeah. But I'm so happy that I made time. It's been nice connecting with you. You're a pretty cool guy, very warm, and nice to connect with. And what you're doing is very important. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. So we're kind of going to dive right into it. And I'm just going to go back. Into, you mentioned in the pre-show you moved when you were 16. Yeah, yeah. I moved to Canada at 16 years old. My dad had a lot of res- uh, had a lot of faith in me. He performed who believed in education. So he sent me out here. Uh, I finished high school at 16 years old. In Nigeria, we do finish high school at 16 and 15, whereas here in Canada, they finish at 18. And so that actually made me go uh, two years back. I finished high school in Nigeria. I was supposed to go to university, but I came to Canada and I went back to like grade 11. So oh. that was interesting. So I came here all alone uh, as an international student. I came to the city of Hamilton uh, to a high school here. And then I did two years of high school. I uh, did really well, killed it, had like amazing grades. So, like, you guys, you guys like, I was training, like I was teaching everybody. Obviously, I was like, I'm already in, supposed to be in university. And I went to the University of Toronto. So I came here at 16. I've been here 16 years. Damn. Um, you know, I just kind of dig into that and just ask like, wh- what was that process like, you know, one from a, like a kid who's ready to go into uni? Because I can imagine if when I was, when I finished secondary school in Nigeria and then you told me that I had to go somewhere and then kind of go back to yeah. two classes back. Like, how did that feel and how did that... I wasn't too worried about it because we came in a cohort. So I already had a community. I came to Canada on a plane with 18 other people who were my... Oh. So we, there was this lady, Mrs. Djibouti. She had a business of exporting Nigerian kids to Canada. <laughs> so she would, she would get all the people who could afford to send their kids out here. She partnered with high schools in Canada, partnered with parents in Nigeria. So she was doing that business. So I came on this country with like maybe like 22 or 25 or 1,800 number of us from Nigeria going to the same high school in Canada. So because of that community feel, it was a bunch mm-hmm. of us. It was exciting with the airport. Like, oh, shit, you come to Canada too? 
Uh, and then we all landed in Canada in the same school. We went to different home states. So I lived in Canada. And my transition to Canada was so smooth because I came, I lived in a home state. So a home state is where you live with a Canadian couple, mm. family. So I was like in, in, the, in the penthouse of a Canadian family's home, Jamie and his wife. Uh, so it was a very, very good, like, cool experience. I, just, I, I was just so happy to be out of Nigeria. I didn't really care what grade or what country. I'm like, just get me out of here. <laughs> and I knew I was on the path to go to university, so it didn't matter too much. But, but I mean, like I, understand, like, I like the fact that you, you talk about all that smooth feeling and all that. But was there any change that you struggled with at that point in time? Or was it all just like, you know young kid happy to be out of nigeria you didn't even bother about everything that was great i wouldn't say i struggle as much people who struggle are people who are already balanced and settled in their home countries they have kids they have families and then they move so it's really tough then and that's what we're solving for at skill hat that's exactly what we're solving for people who are young have time they have four years to go to university i spent two more years going to high school and i was already conditioned to that because if you go to the uk instead you do a levels so in mm. my mind i'm like there's a process right so I struggled with the cold. What I miss, what I said, I miss my parents. Not really. I was happy to be all alone. I love my independence. I'm like, this is lit. I'm like, Canada, eating McDonald's. I'm not eating. <laughs> I was cool with it, to be honest. I would, if I could think of a struggle. I honestly, I can't. I had money. Everything was chill, uh, and that's the true point. One, I had community. I had support from my parents. I had a smooth landing, and I was prepared for it. The problem is when you come to Canada, you're already a, a CEO or a boss in your home country. You leave all that. You come here, you work in the factory. That's the problem you got to tackle. Yeah, I mean, I'm just talking. And that and that, that point really hits me. Like you, you, you. I've been I've been in an Uber, and then the, the, the fella is telling me that back home he used to be a pharmacist, like a senior pharmacist, and then yeah. he moved to Canada, and he just has to go through a process where he has to do past you know what i what do they call that thing certifications and stuff yeah, happened to me yesterday yesterday i was in the uber same story the uber driver i'm like this uber is nice he's like yeah cool i'm like what, what are you doing he's like i drive uber okay where you come from afghanistan what were you doing back home i was a dentist i owned a bunch of dentist businesses and i Damn. also owned a factory and like now he's driving uber in canada so that story is like it's almost like a joke but have you heard that they said that the best place to have a car accident or heart attack is an Uber because there's very high likelihood that the person driving you is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that somewhere. Like I've heard that somewhere, and when I heard it, like I was so traumatized by that, that story or that joke. Someone said it somewhere. I, I read it somewhere, and the person says, like, if you're if you're an Uber in Canada, like you shouldn't be worried about anything. Like if you fall sick in there, you're going to be okay because it's extremely. It's so likely that the driver is the doctor, surgeon, someone. Simple that is not funny like that's not funny it's funny but it's not it's terrible it's actually terrible and now 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 despite all these beautiful things and all that stuff i want to ask like so was there like any moment for you where it really hit you like that like like this is so cool but this is not this is not how we should be because i'm really interested in how you know someone who's had such a you had such a great landing you land you came in smoothly I'm thinking about Skill Hat. I mean, you can talk about what Skill Hat does right now, but thinking about what you're doing with Skill Hat now, like, how did you get to that point? You know, because if you, to me, when, when I saw your profile or when I saw your stuff on LinkedIn, my first thought was like, yo, this dude is solving the problem he went through while in high school. But then you're telling me that. Yes. I, yes. I, was, chill. Like, <laughs> I was able to find that problem. So let yeah. me, 
Let me explain. Um, so I told the folks what Skill Hat is, just for those who are listening, who might not be familiar with us. Um, Skill Hat is an ed tech company. Our mission is to launch people who are really motivated into tech careers. We've been around for three years, so just two and a half years. In that time, we've trained. Uh, by the end of this year, we'll have trained about a thousand students um, who have transitioned into amazing tech careers. We focus on tech roles and tech training. We have eight programs, have a lot of programs. Training in um, business analysis, agile project management, user experience design, web development, product management, AI and no-code software development. Uh, we also have one-on-one coaching program. Um, and there's one of them is, and then our career accelerator, which is a hands-on experience where you build products like a venture studio agency for startups to get the hands-on experience, which is one of our most impressive programs and most prop. But how did I find out about this program, or sorry, about this business and why? Just a few more stats on the impact we've made. The average alumni from our programs increases their income by 45K. So if they're making 60K before they came in, they're making 105K. Uh, we've helped a lot of women change their lives. We focus on women folks or newcomers. Um, we've seen people take our programs, go from making 30K a year to making 30K a month. Um, we've seen some amazing numbers as far as like um, people who take our programs, they get promoted twice in the same year and then they take their boss's job, their boss gets fired, they take over their boss's job, just with some very strong training, coaching, networking. So our process is you take a technical training program in whatever field you want to get into. After technical training, you go through our accelerator, which is the hands-on experience where you actually work on a product with a team, a cross-functional team for a startup or uh, to launch a startup yourself. And then you have a one-on-one coach who works with you to succeed. So they're coaching you in your interviews. Um, they're coaching you on your resume. They're making connections. And we have a networking piece. So force that program training, hands-on accelerator, coaching, and then networking. So that's what we do at Skill Hat. It's been very impactful, very proud. We just won the award uh, this year for the Black Product Innovators of the Year Award from uh, OpsDD and Bima Bank of Montreal. Um, and we're making a lot of strides. We just got a government grant to train 300 people in coding and design. Essentially, the government's not giving us money to just say, keep doing what you're doing, we'll just give you money. You don't have to do any marketing or sales, just train the people who pay for it. So we're very excited about all that stuff that's happened. Shout out to World Innovation League, who helped us get that grant. Shout out to our partners, Colab, Attila, and Ripen. So I wanted to just touch on what we're doing to give context. So now, how did I find this problem? Because everything was supposed to be for me, right, apparently. Well, the story is I, I went to high school in Hamilton, Southern Ontario College, and I got into University of Toronto. I studied... I went in for commerce. I failed the first year. It was terrible. I hated it. Uh, I didn't understand accounting and stuff because I, I thought commerce was about, about making money, which it is. But in, in Nigeria, high school, I did science. I did biology and chemistry and physics. So the transition wasn't there. So I left that. But I loved playing video games and I loved music. And then I found out about a program called Digital Enterprise Management, which is about management of technology. So that included learning about designing websites, finance. Um, a bit about um, communication, technology, editing, uh, film. So like a broad mix of like multimedia, communications, business. So the business of technology. And I'm like, this is dope. So I did that. I did very well in that. I graduated with flying colors uh, from U of T. But the thing is, I, I, I struggled to get a job. Um, 
but not as bad as other people. So the struggle was a little bit there, but I got a job still pretty quick within like three months, four months, um, because I had volunteered a lot in school. So I worked um, as a project manager for a heart uh, and stroke foundation. Um, and in that role, I was a project manager. I was a BA. I was a, a quality assurance. Essentially, I was working for a startup, but that was my big client. So I did everything. So I learned all these skills. I went back to Nigeria. That was the turning point. I went back to Nigeria because my friend, many of you who may, may know him, he's a big, uh, popular techie. He's the most popular techie that in Africa, probably. Inyolua Aboyeji. Uh, you heard of E? Yeah, yeah. yeah Co-founder of Andela. So yeah. he was starting Andela with Jeremy Johnson. Um, and so Jeremy Johnson is this big guy in the States. He was 30 years old, just got the award from Forbes as uh, Forbes 30 under 30. This guy, Jeremy, had sold, had made, taken his company public to a billion dollars. Jeremy partnered with my friend E to launch Andela. Andela is a company who trains the smartest people in Africa and places them to work for U.S. companies. This was in 2017, so this was like outsourcing pre-COVID. So they said they wanted someone to help with like project management curriculum, help with like building out the business. And they said they just raised $4 million from the co-founders of Facebook uh, and uh, Carmelo Anthony. I'm like, this is dope. They're like, do you want to get a board? I'm like, yes. So I left my job, gave them a two-week notice, and I was in Nigeria in one week. So that was like just leaving everything in Canada and going back to Nigeria. And Andela did that for a while. We grew the company. Uh, so I experienced going from a company of 10, 20 people to 1,000 people in a very short time. So I experienced that rapid growth of a startup. I started to understand the impact of education. So at Andela, we were training security guards, house girls, house boys. Um, that means like domestic servants, so to speak. Um, people who already had jobs in like marketing were getting paid a little bit. We trained them in six months. And in six to seven months, they became proficient, and they were now developers for U.S. companies like I IBM and, and Facebook and GitHub. So I saw that transformation happen. I helped build the company in terms of operations, training, project management. I did some sales work there as well. So after a while, like I got recruited by uh, the Nigerian government to help them launch a fund to invest in startups. Did that for a while. So I left Adela for that company called Idea. Did that one for another year and a half. Got recruited again by another company called Edutech. Now, Edutech finds the smartest, sorry, Edutech helps African universities build online versions of on-campus programs. So essentially helping schools like OAU, which is like the biggest university in Nigeria, Amadou Bello, Babcock, build fully e-learning versions of on-campus programs. So the problem we're trying to solve there I got hired as the VP of product development. So that was my first executive role. I was like 24 years old or 20, 25, and I was a VP of a $100 million company. And so these experiences helped me get to where I am. So this is why I'm going deep into all these experiences. And so when I joined that company, I, I saw the problem in Africa is that there's a massive demand for education, but not enough supply, right? Let me, let me give you the math. Every year, at the time, a million kids write the exam to go to university, right? Of that one million kids, guess how much space we have in universities? That Probably like not up to 5% of that space. I mean, I do think it's about, I, I suspect, I've seen a number someone said 18% somewhere because at some point yeah, in my life, I did. Six to 30%. Oh, okay, yeah. So, I, I, which, I, is, which is, the, that means that 700,000 kids 
even though they're qualified, you just don't have enough space to get into these schools. And so we solve that problem through e-learning. You can't build enough facilities, enough buildings. Yeah. So we help these universities build fully functional four-year e-learning programs where these kids could take them on their phones and their iPads. Um, so that was my claim to fame. So I helped launch the first online MBA in Nigeria. We started off with like MBAs and then we moved back to like universities. That online MBA, we I launched that program with Amada Bill University as a program manager. Um, we the, the MBA can only take 300 people per year. And then we moved in, when we launched the online version, within three months, guess how many people came in? A thousand people. Wow. So we went from 300 every year at the max to an extra 1,000 within three months, just showing the demand. A lot of the work involved not just the tech. The tech was important because they had to work offline, not just online due to internet, but also dealing with things like um, lobbying. So that program had to be accredited. So you had to do some policy work because, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> It's funny, like they, the the regulators will say stuff like um, education is a test of education and education is a test of uh, character and um, intelligence. You can't test character online. They have to come to the campus. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to convince the regulators that online education was a viable means of education. So it was involved in a lot of lobbying, policy changes. That was actually the work. Beyond just the tech and the curriculum, a lot of the work was like making this acceptable. And influenced it. I did that. So this is where the skill hat problem came in. So keep in mind, my experience, I'd worked in tech in Canada, gone back to Nigeria, helped build tech training for development and coding, helped invest in startups for the government, and then helped build online programs for universities. So all that experience of investing, building for training, and then building for infrastructure for schools. When I came to Canada, when I came back to Canada, I now struggled to get a job back in Canada. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I have all these great experience, but I was struggling. I wouldn't say struggling, but I just wanted to do it fast, right? You come back to a new country. You don't have five, six months to apply. You're, you're paying rent in dollars. You're, um, you have all these expenses. So I went to a boot camp. So I went to Top Road Consulting Boot Camp to learn business analysis and just build a community because my community was now in Nigeria. I was in Nigeria for yeah. three years. So that was now where I saw that the boot camp experience was so valuable for a newcomer. Boot camps help you with quick training, very specific to what you need to learn. Yes. University, yeah. you're learning like you're taking five, six, seven courses over a long time, over a year yeah. or two, even if it's a master's program. So undergrad is four years, right? A lot of immigrants don't have that time. But yeah. the problem with the boot camp is this. You take the boot camp, you learn a skill, but how do you get that job, right? How do you tell the employer that you've been able to, you have the experience that they need? So that was the innovation that we had at Skill Hack. Um, people were lying in the bootcamp. People would just take the bootcamp and say, yeah, I learned business analysis, uh, but I also have 20 years of experience. They would just doctor their resumes and just put yeah. a bunch of stuff in there. So we wanted to move away from that. And how we solve for that is that if you, for example, wanted to become a business analyst or a product manager, you come to Skill Hat, you take the training in our bootcamp, but we actually will put you on a client project in a cross-functional team. So because we train for all the roles, train for software development, train for design, we train for business analysis, product management, we put you into a venture studio, an innovation lab, where you launch a product for a startup. So now you actually have experience saying, I built this product, this product now has 7,000 users, here's what I've learned, here's actually what I've done, and then you get the experience. And then now we also coach people 
to get a job. We have one-on-one coaches and then we have networking events. So when I came back to Canada, I worked for the government. I hated it and I quit that job. I, I, I did join uh, an insurance company as a VP as well. Uh, and then I quit that job to start Skill Hat. So that was like what happened to Canada, government, insurance, and then Skill Hat. Hope that kind of gives you a sense of the story. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Like, I'm just curious, like, why did you come back to Canada? When... Good question. The dollar, man. The, the Naira <laughs> was falling badly. Like, I think I was getting paid, in a VP role in Nigeria, I was getting paid $50,000 a year, but in Naira. It was $10 yeah. million Naira a year I was getting paid for that role. It was a lot of money, $10 million a year for like a 24, 25-year-old kid because my colleagues were getting paid maybe $2 million Naira a year, right? So I was making types five of my average age of colleagues was making. But then that was negotiated in Naira, but then the dollar kept going down. So what was 50K was not like 20, was not like 40K, 45. Right now, 10 million Naira <laughs> is is $10,000. Yes. Yeah, 50K yeah. is now 10K. Yeah. Uh, in Naira. So that was one. Uh, two, my family is here. My parents are here. My parents are in Canada. They've been here actually for a while. Um, so I just felt alone. Plus, like, my mom was like, when are you going to get married? You know, <laughs> I was dating girls in Nigeria. I felt like I had to, I knew I'll come back to Canada long term. So I was like, if I want to get in a relationship there, I don't want to like move. I didn't want all that. So I was like, I'm just going to move now and then start my life in Canada. And that's what happened. I came here in a short time. I actually got married and just started my new life within one place versus kind of moving around. That's interesting. Um, and that's it's actually pretty interesting that you like, you know, you're almost like you're double immigrants. I mean, it's back to the same place, but like back foot, back foot. Yeah, exactly. Just, just curious. When you spent time in Canada and went back to Nigeria, what was it like settling back into Nigeria again? I think that was the tough transition that I didn't have when I um, when I came to Canada the first time. It was it was rough, but also good. Again, every time you're transitioning, I, I learned this thing from one of my pastors. He says, manage transitions carefully, which is through, it depends on kind of transition. But in life, there's always transitions. Yeah. Right. Transition from one job to another, from being single to being married, country to another. Right. So it was tough because I was used to certain luxuries, like just having power all the time, something simple like that, or uh, knowing I could take the bus when I went to take an Uber. Mm. Uh, when I first got there, it wasn't like the same. So what was tough? Um, what was tough was... I guess just like being in a different environment, I had a Canadian accent. <laughs> so people will like make fun of me, like, what is this guy coming to tell us now? Like, what do you, yeah. you know, you so to speak, that, you speak English. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that, like, people making fun of me, but I'm like, I'm still like an agile guy at heart. Like, in this meeting, I'm not going to like, like the presentation, I'm just being myself. But like, tone this down. No, all these English, you speak more. <laughs> so that, that culture shock of like, it's the same me, but like, this is how I present. Um, but again, I always reference what worked for me. So I'm, I've been very blessed in life. And I'll admit that in the sense that with my transitions, somehow God just always helped me have the right cushioning effect, and which mm-hmm. is why I wanted to pay that back and build a cushioning effect type of business. And so I transitioned through Andela. They flew me back home. They paid for my oh, ticket. Nice. They paid for my, my, my car to get shipped. They paid for my furniture. To, they, they housed me. So I lived in Jacob News in Java, um, you know, uh, and I went there with the goal and the purpose. I was there for a mission to build a business. So, you know, as much as it was rough with, like, you know, people making fun of you and, like, 
just like the culture shock and like, you know, heat and all these little things. Again, it was smooth and I was blessed. So I don't want to come here and make it feel like it has to be rough. If you do the right things and you are able to get the right support, mm-hmm. things do not have to be rough for you. And that's kind of like my key message and I help people with that as well. <laughs> now, like, just curious, like, so now, now that you've done this, came to Canada, went back to Nigeria, came back to Canada. Mm-hmm. Where's home for you, to be honest? Like, where, what mm-hmm. is home? home? Home is Canada. Because of my wife, especially. Like, in my life, I like to travel a lot. My wife does not like Nigeria at all. <laughs> She's had a bunch of bad experiences. She does not like to step foot there. I like to go home. I like to travel everywhere. Um, but home is just purely in Canada. That's the truth. And, like, if I, if I was to ask you, like, now that you've come back here, what do you miss most about your time back in Nigeria? And that's your time back when you walk there mm-hmm. as a, someone who had spent time in Canada and then went back to Nigeria to live there for a bit. Yeah, so the experience of being in Nigeria was so unique. Nigeria is a place where there's a lot of room for innovation because there's so many problems. Yeah. The average person in Canada just wants to get a really good job, um, you know, get their RSP and just chill. Right, maybe a side hustle. In Nigeria, everyone's like, running a business or of some sort, right? So I miss that innovative spirit. I mean, all the guys, I, I told you a bunch of guys brought me back. These guys are 23 years old and 30 years old. They had raised like, you know, a couple million from investors. Um, so Nigeria was a place where there's a lot of innovation, a lot of innovative fire. So that was that's one thing I missed. Like, I don't have many entrepreneur friends. I don't think I have any single entrepreneur friend in Canada. All my friends working really good jobs at the best companies in the world. But in Nigeria, everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone has a business. Everyone has like a side hustle. Um, it's just a way of, of, of so that's one thing I miss. I miss the food, good food. I miss the weather. I do not like the Canadian weather. Once we have this cold, once I'm done, I got to go up and shovel the snow. Um, <laughs> it's a money shoveling small time. Uh, I miss just the influence you can have. Like I was writing policy documents for yeah. the university council on how policies for education should be at 24 years old. In Canada, you have to have worked for a long time, usually, to have that authority and those, those opportunities. So as a young person, you get a lot of opportunity in Nigeria if you're smart because there's so many problems. Yeah. And the impact you can make. If I was still in my job, you know, as a project manager in an insurance company, um, I don't th- I think I'll be depressed right now. Because, yeah, you quit. I, I mean, what we're doing at Skill had the piece of innovation. I'm like, we've grown the company to a great valuation in a short time. That's what I like doing. And you, you don't always have the chance to move that fast and break things in Canada. In the U.S., maybe. Yeah. In Canada, there's that the mentality and the pace is a bit slower. And just, everything is just set. Oh, look at telecommunications. It's the same telco companies. Yeah. Big, big three, big four. Rogers, Fido, which is the same company, really. Tell us. Yeah. Bill. And Rogers just, Rogers just bought Shaw. So, like, literally. Like. Exactly. Look at the banks. Same big four banks. RBC, PD. Yeah, whereas in the U.S. it's like 40, 50 banks. Anyone can yeah. start a bank tomorrow, and you blow, right? Uh, look at the the, the industry of uh, media and TV. All the big art actors and, and and artists, Bieber, Drake, they go back to they just go to the states and they make, they make it there. So Canada yeah. is a place where you could you can innovate, but I think there's some constraints around big business and there's like oligopolies and monopolies. So it's not as open. So that's one thing I miss about Nigeria to answer your question. It's open. It's wide. You can do anything you want, start anything yeah. you want, and just make it big. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. Like, I, I do struggle a bit with 
really kind of young piece. Like I used to work for an American company. I just, which I just left um, a couple of weeks ago. Like, gosh, the pace is amazing. You know, the pace, like it is dizzying at times, you know, Canada, not so much. Yeah. You know, yeah. Not yeah. so much. Now, I, something I'm going to ask you, which is like, I know your parents are here. I, I assume your parents, you all live in the same place, like the same. Yeah, we, they live about an hour from me. They live in Brampton. We live in Ancaster. Oh, okay. Um, what are your thoughts? Like, what are your thoughts on parenting? Now you have an eight-month-old, you know, you're a, Niger- you're a Nigerian, Canadian, Nigerian, with Nigerian grandparents one hour away, with a Nigerian mom. Like, how, so, and then you're living in Canada, raising your child in Canada as an immigrant. Like, what are your thoughts? Like, how are you going to balance that, you know, straddling the two cultures, which you have to straddle as an immigrant? Like, how do you plan to do that? So, with regards to parenting, there's a lot of great things about Kenyan parenting culture. There's some things that aren't so great. And on the flip side with Nigeria. So, what, let's talk about the great things on both sides. Just, I'll be really quick, right? The great thing about the Canadian parenting culture is that the kids have freedom. The mm-hmm. kids are encouraged to express themselves and they're encouraged to explore. Uh, the bad thing is that it can, be, it can become too much. It yes. can become too much like independence from a young age. It can become too much, uh, not enough respect for elders and for parents. I don't want that, right? I want my kids to be free, but also know their limits. And then there's too much exposures. Like in, in school, they're teaching them about being able to choose their own sexuality. I don't believe a child should be said to just say, oh, you can choose. You are a boy if you are a boy. This is what God made you. Maybe when you get to 18, you can learn, but don't expose them to that stuff in school from a young age and say, you have a chance. You question it. Are you really a boy? Dude, you're a boy. <laughs> if God gave you a penis, you're a boy. I don't, I'm, I'm going to say it openly. I'm a very honest guy. I'm open. I don't hide my feelings about stuff like that. Right. You know, so there's too much exposure to things that they should not be exposed to at a young age. And they start to question things that they have no business questioning, right? Too much choice. I believe in constraints. The best people in the world, Serena Williams, her dad told her, here's what you got to do. He conditioned her. She's the best player in the world. Same for Tiger Woods. Same for Mike Tyson. They were conditioned. And look where they turned out, right? So you need to guide kids in the way that they should go, not just leave them with too much freedom. Now, on the flip side of Nigeria, the best things about Nigerian culture with raising kids is that they're raised to be respectful. They're raised to be disciplined. Uh, they're raised to be very hands-on, right? Solving problems. They're raised to have that hustle mentality. Uh, the bad thing is that it's kind of like the opposite, really. They're, they're just, shut up there. When I'm talking, you don't talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. They don't allow kids to always speak their minds. Um what else is tough about it? Um, you know, the, the, there's not that bond between parents and children. There's this authority yeah. figure. When daddy comes home, everyone run away. You go hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then in Canada, the, in, in, in Nigeria, the, I think, I believe in actually not sparing the rod. I believe sometimes you got to discipline the child. Give him some African magic. Give him some. Let them know that if you act up, you know, you'll get something on your bum. I actually believe in that. I believe that it, it, that, that fear of like, I will dad might actually like let me know what's going on it makes sure to act right in canada that's not allowed right you can't spank your kids so it's kind of like having a mix of both so we will allow our kids to be free but also let them know that this is the limit be respectful if you act if you move out of those boundaries we won't let you know what's going on give us my african magic <laughs> um 
And then uh, at the same time, give them that hustle, that discipline. Like, there's no entitlement. You got to go get it. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of like how our, we're kind of trying to marry both. I think the thing about the human being is that we often start stuff something and then we just overdo it. And that's like both cultures have that issue where the Canadian part has its own issues I struggle with. The Nigerian part also has its own issues, issues I struggle with. And I, and I agree with you that somehow is one saying to themselves is that can you the advantage of being an immigrant is that you have the benefit of two cultures so why don't you just take full advantage and say why don't you take the good parts of everything and meld it into something and yeah. then just see what it turns out turn what the kid turns yeah. into yeah because um, one culture is perfect like Thai yes. I don't even know Thai I know the video videography yes, yes. yeah I know yeah I know I know. went to LA and LA is celebrated as this perfect place with you know so much opportunity but uh, he saw that in LA, there's a lot of homelessness and there's a lot of, it's really expensive. Um, you know, there's issues, even though LA is this place where you have Hollywood, just ask people who are homeless and there's issues there as well. There's a lot of drug abuse on Cedar Road. So he was making the point that he's coming from Nigeria thinking America's perfect. No place is perfect. So say we know culture is perfect. So it's all yes. about taking the best of different yes. worlds, like yes. using, taking what you don't want, doing what you yeah. want, just following blindly is kind of what... We're all about in our family. I, I listen. I always talk to my wife about finding the balance between respecting authority but being bold enough to challenge authority. You I love know, it. I love it. You know, you need to understand authority doesn't know everything. And like in this, in this, in their school, they know us that we're so involved because I believe that I like education, but I still think that education is not prepping my kids for the world they're going to face. So if you tell me something, I'm like, okay, I want to understand why. Because I also need to understand that, like, for example, my child's going to grow up in a world where AI can do amazing things. So why should my child understand how to use ChatGPT? My seven-year-old is instead asking questions that I'm like, okay, yeah, let's go and, go and check Google. Because you know what? You're, going to, you're probably going to have an agent, an AI agent that you're just asking the question you want to ask when you're old enough. So why am I going to say to you that you have to use your brain? Like, I want you to be smart enough to undo all that stuff. But you also need to understand that your ability to sit find, synthesize information will set you apart in the world where there's so much information. And that's yeah. where we're going to. You know. Um, but that I think the, my last question for you is um, what's one question I should have asked you that you think other immigrants planning to immigrate could learn from? Because I think you have a really interesting experience. Um, well, I mean, I'll go to the answer straight versus the yes, question. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Question. Um, I think people just need to plan better. They need to also um, have more exposure, more networks. Because you don't know what you don't know. So mm. give yourself enough time to assume you don't know things and find what you might not know. A few experiences for me that have like, if I think of critical moments that getting exposed helped me, um, I'll talk about a few things. One is just books, mm -hmm. right? Two, network. Mm -hmm. uh, and then three, like just technical knowledge. So technical knowledge, I guess I'll start there. Don't be afraid to invest in your, in your education, man. That's the first advice for new immigrants. So if the question was, what are the key things that immigrants need to be successful? I guess that might be the question. And I'll start with a few things that helped me be successful. Technical knowledge. Um, the, the education I got from U of T was very, very important for me because I threw myself at it. But if I use that alone, I would be nowhere, right? 
Um, so I guess that's the fourth thing, volunteering and networking. So I'll kind of break it down. So technical knowledge, I've seen people take only a three, four month course. And like just from that one course at Skill Hatch, they just change their lives. People who were in customer service, who were, who had some course personality traits of um, listening effectively, documenting effectively, solving customer problems over the phone at, you know, Rogers or whatever company doing phone service, use that skill in a different way as a BA or as a project manager because they learned the technical elements of the software development lifecycle and they learned about, you know, technical elements of, um, let's say, marketing like SEO or web design. It's the same mm -hmm. skill set or the same knowledge tree, but applied in a technical concept, context uh, makes you more valuable. So no matter where you are, just get more technically sound is the first thing. And that's what helped me as well. The second thing that I think really changed my life that helped me um, in the next order was just volunteering. So it's all about today. It's not just about what you know and what you've learned, which is so critical, but what have you built? What have you done? So I was able to get my first job coming out of college because I volunteered so much when I was in university. I volunteered with the uh, African Students Association as a marketing coordinator. Um, I also volunteered with the tech club doing a tech conference, which helped me get exposed to tech founders and CEOs who gave me a job just by volunteering with doing the conference. Um, so that was very important. So a lot of people just don't volunteer, like people will learn a skill and they just work on your resume and just stay home and keep applying. You got to go out there and build stuff, build, 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 because what you build builds you, yes. especially in today's day and age. It's a very competitive environment. So you want to set yourself apart by building stuff. And I guess that's the word. It's about building. So whether you're building through volunteering or building through starting a business or building through taking a side project at work, just go build. Building things makes you really even know, do you actually like doing this thing? Yeah. And then that's when you know when the energy comes. If you're building stuff for yourself and you like you love it, that is a signal. If you're building stuff and you hate it, it's like, okay, you know what? I actually don't even like doing this thing in the first place. So mm -hmm. that's the first two things. Technical skills, building. The third is just a network. There's a few people who I've met in my life that changed my life. They were opening doors to key things. First key person was when I was actually volunteering for this tech conference and going to other schools to help them get informed about our conference. I went to Waterloo. That's where I met Ian Abueji, co-founder of Mandela. After like two years, he remembered me, he called me. He's like, bro, I remember you from that conference. I actually came, I presented. Uh, and we're starting this thing. We just got some money. We got $4 million. We need people to just help us build a business. You're going to come to Nigeria. I'm like, yes. I went out there. My life changed from one con conversation that I met like two years before. Another key person I networked with, the first job I got was through just going for a regular thing my mom said to come for. She was going for a recruiting event. I just drove her there and I went in and I got hired on the spot by a different guy. Um, networking with my job with Adela, one of the CEOs of VGG came around. We talked. I pitched him a thing. He called me after nine months. It's a trend. People will call you after like a year. So the thing about networking is that people just, they network when they have a problem. Yes. When they have a need. That's not going to work. You just network and put yourself out there before you have the need. You do it just to do it. You do it to add value to people. And that's the tip of networking. So this is the trick. When you network, don't go to people and say, oh, I need this. I need that. You network to once learn. Say, oh, tell me what you're doing and just be interested. But two, you network to add value. 
So I meet a guy at, in a conference. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm doing skill hack. I'm running this. Help me, you know, get more students. Help me get a government grant to do more. It's more like asking the person, hey, what are you doing? What, what's your biggest goal and what help do you need to get there? I promise you, if you ask every single person you meet, what's your biggest goal and what help do you need to get there? People will always remember you because <laughs> you're going to make them really think critically about what, where, where they're trying to go. And then don't just ask to ask. When they tell you, think about, you might not have the solution, but maybe say, oh, I know a person who may have a solution. Connect those two people together. Right now, you've, you've really changed the course of life and how as you connect, they do things. Yeah. So immigrants, first thing is technical skills. Two, build. Three, just network as much as possible. Um, the next guy who really helped me network was Toby Oluwole, who was a co-founder of Three Skills, or rather yeah. the next guy who I remember networking with that just really helped me like put things in perspective is Toby Oluwole, who co-founder of Three Skills. Like how he thinks is so different. He taught me about LinkedIn storytelling. Dozy, how do you find out about me? LinkedIn. Exactly. <laughs> He just taught me how to tell stories on LinkedIn. He gave me access to his course, the LinkedIn Blueprint, for free. Um, even though I already paid for the course before, I just never watched it. <laughs> when he gave it to me for free, I'm like, okay, this guy actually gave it to me for free. Let me actually go watch this thing. Changed my life. I became a LinkedIn storyteller, and like just my telling stories on LinkedIn every single day, I've been able to build a million-dollar business because we attract the right students. We attract like partners by storytelling, putting yourself out there. Right. You found out about me through LinkedIn because so Toby was a key guy I networked with. Shout out to Toby who taught me about that. But again, it's just about networking. It exposes you to so much. I started learning about his own circle. He has like friends that are making a million dollars a year on the side. I'm like, what's going on? How are people doing all these things? And the fourth thing is just the books. A few books have changed my life. Um, I don't want to, if you asked about the books or if you ask about the books, I could talk about some of the key books. But again, technical skills build, network, and then just read books on all sorts of topics to build that knowledge. You want to become someone who knows a lot about something, but something about everything. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for getting to this point. Like I really, I, I don't take that for granted. Please give us a like on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Substack, follow us on YouTube. Please share this with someone who might find it interesting. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day and cheers.